I'm going to be Janet, the PR person. I'm going to be Janet, the real estate agent. And I'm going to be Janet, the yoga teacher, because I can, and I want to be, and I don't have to explain myself to anyone or anything as long as I'm delivering on my end of the deal. Hello. Welcome to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and this is your destination for all things growth. First of all, thank you so much for being here. Thank this you has been a long time coming. Me. You know what? I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for asking. Oh my God. Me. And of course. I adore you. And feeling is mutual. Love like entire. To all of your shows, thank whether you. it's you doing a solo cast or your guests, like there's always wisdom. Thank you. Well, every single time I'm in your yoga class, I either (laughs) cry or I like literally leave and I'm like, I feel like it's like TED Talk meets Oprah meets (laughs) the best yoga flow workout, steam room, sauna, like the whole thing in one. So thank you because you make that possible for me to do that like two, three times a week. Thank you. Which is amazing. I appreciate that. I love what I do. I could tell. In all areas. (laughs) So that's like another big reason why I wanted to have you on is that you do have so many different areas that you spread yourself across. And I resonate with that a lot. I feel like my hands are in a ton of different things. And before we get into all of your different vehicles of expression, which is what (laughs) I like to call it, I always like to start at the beginning of what you were like as a kid. Like, what was your essence? What was little Janet like? Do you remember? Gosh, what was little Janet like? That's a great question. I... As a child, I was, I'm the youngest of four. I'm okay. the youngest of four. And my siblings are all much older than me. So my eldest brother is 10 years. My sister is eight years. And my other brother, Paul, is six years older than me. So, okay. So you're kind of like an only child. In some ways. You but know, with cool older but, siblings. But with cool older siblings. And I remember as a little girl, you know, my mom stayed home with us. Both of my parents are from Italy. First, I'm, my siblings and I are first generation Americans. Where in Italy? They're from a town called Ferentino, which is about 65 miles south of Rome. So it's in Lazio. Mm. And their story is amazing and like almost too unbelievable to believe. Typically when I have amazing people on my show, I always leave being like, can I have your parents as guests? (laughs) (laughs) My parents really and truly are an American dream type of story. When I was a little girl, my mom was still home with me. And I remember like singing. I remember she and I would sing a lot and she made all my clothes. My mom's an amazing seamstress. She doesn't sew so much anymore, but she would make our clothes when we were growing up. She made my, you know, my prom dress. She made my homecoming dresses, really, really talented dressmaker. And I remember as a little girl, she would make us matching outfits. I love that. I have this memory of like this. Of you and her? Of me and her, like wearing these matching t-shirts that she made (laughs) that are just striped, all these different colors, and us singing. And I hated going to preschool when I was a little girl because I wanted to just be home with my mom. And I would get really severe anxiety (laughs) before I went to preschool. interesting. Because I just wanted to be home singing, hanging out with mom. That's so cute. So, I mean, as a little girl, I loved music from a young, young age. My parents used to sing together. So music was really big in our household. And from a young age, singing, my mom enrolled me in dance classes. So I grew up dancing ballet, tap, jazz. And then when I was a little bit older, I started playing the flute and I carried on with the flute all through college and continued playing. Interesting. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. A, a flautist, like to the nth degree, like really. You are so fascinating. No, I mean, thank you I love when that, I have people but... on the show that I also know personally, and then I find out so many new things about them. Yeah. I That's so flute. cool. That was my thing. And then when I got a little older, like in high school and in college, I got into the jazz flute and I never really got into the piccolo. <laughs> like that was more of the march. Although I was in the marching band in high school, but I never played the piccolo. But yeah, concert concert flute was my, was my jam growing up. But all the while singing, dancing, I went to a cre- creative and performing arts high school where my love for musical theater like really came into play. What do you think it is about it? Because I, I do still, even within your classes, like I see 
the essence of music, your first of all, your playlists are always next level amazing. Thank but you. you sing at the end, and I only recently found out that you have the most incredible voice ever that shakes me and like lifts my hairs, and Aww. I get goosebumps every time. But I kind of see that. I see that in how you even like approach a yoga class. It's very from like a performance essence, yeah. which makes sense considering what you just said about what you were like as a kid. What do you think it is about it? Like, is it, have you ever thought about it? Like, what is it about performance? What is it about singing that is at the core of it? You know, when you're singing and when you're performing, you're really tapping into something that you almost didn't even know you had. Like there are moments when I'm singing, whether that's in a yoga class or I'm singing in the shower, where you'll belt something out and you're like, wow, where did that come from? I think when you're performing in any element, you're tapping into something that is greater than yourself. I've always been a big daydreamer, even when I was a little girl. One of my favorite things to do is sit in the backyard lie down in the grass under this big, big tree that we had. We had a huge apple tree and I would lay down back there with my face up to the sky and I would sing and I would just daydream. And I think when you're performing, you're allowing yourself to tap into that dreamer state that you love so much, but then you're also hopefully bringing people into that kind of state as well, allowing them to, to find something inside that they didn't know was there. And sometimes in yoga, for example, I'll have people come to me after class and say, I was crying during Shavasana and hopefully happy tears or cleansing tears. Sometimes they're not happy tears, but if they're cleansing tears, that's really what matters. And to me, that's one of the biggest compliments that somebody can give me because it means that through the power of voice, they were able to reach something like from their soul. You know, move I something. Helped, I helped move something within their soul. I can't take full responsibility for that. You have to be open to it. You have to be ready for it. You have to be in a meditative state, I think, to really achieve that kind of release. But to be able to achieve that or see someone achieve that by way of your performance or your singing or your acting or your dancing or your playlist or whatever it is is really very powerful and something that feeds my soul in a big way. That gives me like, just, I feel so much in my whole body right now because it's, it's the recognition. It's like, yes, the person's in a meditative state, but like you are in your essence when you're doing that and essence recognizes essence. So that's probably why someone is moved there. It's because their light is like in the presence of someone who's in theirs, which is waking up. Yeah. And it's so incredibly powerful to achieve that state together. Because I'll tell you, when I teach a yoga class, I go into it prepared. I create a play. I can I've tell. A lot you're of time. so cute. Thank it's you. So I mean, you guys, if you're in Miami, please do yourself a favor. <laughs> it's literally the best class ever. Come to Mimi Yoga. I'm there almost every day. But I love preparing classes, whether that's sequencing playlists. I put a lot of time into playlists. I love music. And you might come into my class and you're going to hear jams from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, current music, because I do believe that music is a, a tremendous vehicle for getting people into a state of meditation in motion through a yoga class. And even if the word has songs, I used to be really afraid to use music that had lyrics because I thought it would be too distracting for people. But it doesn't matter if you're listening to Tony Bennett or Alicia Keys or Bad Bunny. When you hear their words and you hear the creation, you're part of their creative genius. You know, you're part of their creative brilliance that you're seeing light come alive in that moment. And I think it can be very meditative through a yoga class or, or even if you're just sitting at home listening to listening to your Apple music or I was going to say records. But I don't know how many people listen to records anymore. Some people do. I, I love think a good it's vinyl. having a comeback. Yeah. I think it's having a comeback. I Vinyl's think people are craving a little more tangible yeah. connection. Yeah. So the reason I asked that question about what you were like as a kid mm-hmm. is because I find that the people that I have kind of this like pull towards that I genuinely feel are living in that essence or that they've activated that core ingredient within them. Typically they know what that essence was like when they're younger. It kind of gets lost and then you uncover it and you find it again. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like we say in yoga that you're kind of just like removing the mud, but like it's always been there. Right. 
I'm curious throughout your life, if you've ever experienced times where you felt like you lost that core essence and that it required you to come back to it. Yes, definitely. I think honestly, in college, I really lost a lot of my core essence. I grew up a very curious, naturally very curious child, dancing, singing, flute, piano, you know, friends, apple picking, you know, whatever it was like I loved and, and all throughout high school, very curious about learning, not just about creative and performing arts, but learn English, you know, reading literature. Like I loved, I really excelled math, not so much. Um, wasn't so curious <laughs> about math yeah, or physics or any of, <laughs> any of that stuff. Um, I left that to, to the others, but when I got to college, I went to a very, a wonderful school in Chicago and I was honored to go there. I was honored to be accepted into that institution, but it was also like a very, very strict institution in terms of its core requirements mm-hmm. for all of its undergraduates. And they actually dub University of Chicago as the place where fun comes to die, like the core program. What the common core was the name of the program. And it And it was just a set of really intense requirements across all of the learning disciplines. And I felt thrown in to a system of learning that was more intense than anything I'd ever learned. And and don't get me wrong. I loved my university. I loved my college and I loved the experience, but I felt so swept up in the need to study like all the time. You know, when you get to, when you get to college, you know, you realize that you're surrounded by people who are also like very, very like best in class in their mm-hmm. in their own high schools. I went from a high school in Rockford, Illinois, where you're part of the top ten or the top twenty five or whatever, and then you go to a place like U Chicago, and everyone you meet was like a, the valedictorian, <laughs> right? It's, yeah, and it was very easy to sort of lose my way. I continued to play the flute. I I sought out work-study jobs that allowed me to stay connected to music. I was working in the concert office at the time. But I felt a lot of pressure to do well, to excel, especially in areas that didn't excite me so much, like calculus, for example. Mm-hmm. And the concepts were hard. They were challenging. Even when I went to philosophy, the classics was the name of the class, the classics. I struggled. I struggled with... Maybe it was just this massive amount of intelligence that was so far greater than my own that made me feel very small. And it was nobody's doing but my own, honestly. It was the own voices in in my head. So I think that was a time when, you know, I, I stopped taking care of myself quite so much. I continued to participate in theater as much as I could or as much as my schedule would allow, given the rigorous academic schedule. But that's when I started to feel kind of a coming apart. And what I thought would have been like this curious wonder in my life for being in such an amazing school and surrounded by so many brilliant people really turned into fear, you know, fear of failure, fear of not living up, fear of all this money I was spending on tuition and money I was borrowing that my parents were borrowing, you know, like guilt for not loving it more. And I would say my first two years of college were brutal in that way. Like I felt very disconnected from myself and very disconnected from the natural curiosity that I felt that I had fostered as a young girl. I can't even believe I'm talking about this. I haven't thought about this in years and years. I mean, I think it's important Um, because I think anyone who like has found really like with therapists or people that are in the yoga community, I'm so curious how they get on the path. Yeah. I've never seen anyone who out the boom has just like all of a sudden gone in that direction. And I do think that it does, it's like a heart cracking open type thing to allow you to even find the path in the first place. And so I I do think that this is a really important part to your story. You know, what was your plan? Like, what did you want to be? So the plan was to graduate with a pre-law, you know, scenario and go to law school and become a big corporate attorney. That was the plan. Janet, you're so full of surprises. And, I then, can't. and then by so, the time I was a junior, I was like, yeah, I think I want to study Spanish literature and maybe become a professor. Maybe not. I don't know. But I'm in, you know, I was in the home. I was in the the source. I was at the source mm-hmm. in Spain. And, and it really inspired me and gave me the strength. I think leaving home 
leaving Chicago, being on my own for the first time in a foreign country in that way, you know, as a young adult gave me the courage. They gave me the courage to decide for myself what I really wanted. And it was not to become a lawyer. (laughs) It was not. So that was really the first time I lost it. The second time was later in life, uh, in my 30s, actually. So probably about 10 years ago, um, I had started Isabelli Partners, which is our marketing PR and marketing agency. I started that business in 2011, and it was very successful right out of the gate. I'd worked in hospitality PR for years, years and years, um, many of those years with the same agency that focused on the same thing. So when I started my company, I was very established. I knew a lot of chefs and restaurants and hoteliers and was very lucky, knock on wood, to sign some marquee clients very quickly. And what I thought was going to be just a coffee table endeavor grew overnight, right? We didn't really have the infrastructure. We didn't really have a business plan. Um, We didn't have an exit strategy if that were to happen. Like we didn't have anything. We just opened the doors and the clients came and I was afraid to say no because eventually the phone stops ringing, right? That's what everybody tells you. That's That's the the fear. That's the fear. That's what everyone conditions you to think. Uh, My parents are from Italy. They came here with nothing essentially and built the American dream and amazing story, incredible story, but don't. Don't get it twisted. There was always something in the back of their head that said, well, what if this goes wrong? Well, what if that goes wrong? What if, you know, my dad had three jobs when I was a little girl. You know, there's, there's that conditioning in the back of my head. Well, of course, I'm going to say yes to all these clients. Of course. Like, why would I say no? And entertaining is a big deal in mm-hmm. hospitality PR. So eating out almost every single day. You know, that that's where week. I started, right? In hospitality. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. It didn't last long. I do. I I respect the hell out of your hustle because hospitality PR, especially when you're like in the grind era. That was the grind era. And and I will say that was a time too when we spent a lot of time entertaining press. Nowadays, the media, I think, prefer to eat out on their own with a guest and have that experience. But these were the days of big press dinners, tables of eight or 10 media at a really amazing restaurant or one-on-one press dinners. I still love doing that. And I still try to do that when I can. Mm -hmm. But I do think times have changed a little bit. But the truth of it is, is that I really stopped taking care of myself during that period. And it was really from like 2011 until, gosh, I mean, I want to say like 2018, maybe, you know, yeah, about 2018 sounds right, where I just was blowing like a feather in the wind wherever wherever the opportunity went I went wherever the press dinner was I was there wherever the wine was I was there in people's like trajectory I'm always so curious like were you running away from something or were you running towards something in fear of losing what it was that you were trying to find I think probably a little bit of both you know I think I was you know running away from fear And I was also trying to run towards this idea of success. Like, when is it enough? Is it ever enough? I I still don't know the the answer to that. Like, that's what my constant question is. Like, what is enough? Like, what is it? What is enough? Does it take you staying up 18 hours a day and having two bottles of wine a night and losing all sense of self? No. Like, to me, that doesn't sound very successful. That doesn't sound like a happy place. But you see clients signing up and you see checks coming in and it's like, wow, what is happening here? You know, it's, we really got very lucky super quickly. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. So what was the straw that broke the camel's back or that woke you up? My husband had booked a trip for us over Thanksgiving to the Caribbean. And honestly, all I could think about, like the whole month leading up to that trip was, I just got to get to the plane. I just got to make it (laughs) to the plane. Oh, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. And I remember getting on the plane, finally, hours and hours and hours and days of work. And I got on the plane and I looked at my husband and I was dead tired. Like you could just tell, like I hadn't gone to bed to catch the flight. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of those. I was one of those people. Yeah. And, uh, and I looked at him and I said, it is a fucking miracle that I'm alive right now. <laughs> and I said, and I don't know what, that means in this moment, but all I know is it means something has to change when we get back. And he looked at me and it was like, okay, 
let's do this. Whatever we got to do, let's do it. He knew. He knew. He had a front row seat. Yeah, he had a front row seat to the to the complete demise of my my soul, (laughs) honestly, and my physical health too. So we went on that trip, had a great time, and I came back. And then I just had to go to that place, Sophie, of like complete separation. I think, sorry, I'm like really close mm-hmm. to the mic, complete separation from who I had been to what I wanted to be. And I had to live in a space that I very much um, now to this day compare to the seventh limb of yoga, dhyana, which is this space of silence in between your point of focus and your, which is uh, dharana and liberation, which is samadhi, right? Dhyana is the best one because you're living in that beautiful other world in between the two that allows you to really withdraw from the state that you're in to visualize and understand where it is you want to go. And it wasn't easy to get myself there, but I got myself there. And I sought help from, from people that I knew and trusted to get my nutrition, first and foremost, under control. So that was step one. That was step one, the food. You know, like, what am I eating? I cannot eat out seven days a week, sometimes twice a day. You know, like I just couldn't, despite my career, despite my focus and hospitality, it was just unrealistic to put my body through that anymore. So I worked with some great, great people who helped me understand what it meant to eat like a normal person and not like a food publicist. I don't know how many years you had been putting in that kind of like input of the wine and the going out and the saying yes and all that stuff. And to me, the most fascinating thing is that you start doing this, treating your body with respect and like giving it the hydration and removing the toxin. And, and in one month it like, you can be putting years, 30 years, 20 years. And then in, it's like, it wants to come back so quickly and it it will, it will, it will. And it really taught me that the body is this healing vessel you know, you hear me say this in Mm -hmm. yoga every day when you come to class is when you look at all the parts of the body down to the teeniest, tiniest cell within, the body knows how to take care of itself. The body knows how to work in harmony with itself. The heart and the kidneys and the lungs and the liver are all talking to each other. And they're all saying, you're just as important as I am. And they're working in peace and harmony. And Cells know how to divide. They know how to grow. They know how to multiply. They know how to regenerate themselves. Like at our core essence, we are meant, our bodies are beautiful, creatively intelligent vessels for harmony and peace, right? So it can only be true that our true essence must be the same. It has to be the same. And we Mm -hmm. have to work towards that. We have to really work towards achieving that same internal harmony that we're born with. And we spend our whole lives trying to do it. But it's it's innate. It's innate within us. One thousand percent. Why is it so hard to remember that? Like at the point of choice, why is it so difficult for that not to be at the freaking forefront all the time? Amen, sister. I hear you. And I think we get caught up. We get caught up in our daily lives. The client, the chase, the, you know, the need to be here or be there, the 17 different modes by which somebody can text message you right today. No, today we were and, literally talking on WhatsApp on DM. On, I know, uh, like, exactly. <laughs> I was laughing last night. My husband's like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm DMing Sophie. And then he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm texting Sophie about tomorrow. And he was like, what in God's green earth? Like, you know, we're like here, there and everywhere. We are literally here, there and everywhere. And I will say that for me, the step to find the way back to myself was much more than a physical manifestation. Like, sure, I wanted to look better and I wanted to feel healthier, but it was also a massive ego check, right? Like, who did I really think I was? Was I that important, right? That I had to work 18 hours a day and stop living in the present moment and stop being present in my marriage or stop being present for my girlfriends or my family? Like, is this... Is this text message so important for me to answer right now, this very moment that I can't enjoy the sun coming up? I do feel like when the body gets very unorganized, it's in large part, it's always in part due to the mind, but it's in bigger part due to the ego. You know, the ego wants to have disharmony. You know, it wants us to be unorganized in every way. I think because it feels comfortable and it feels easier. It feels a lot easier 
to respond to the text message right away. Like, but why? Like, I, I and not yeah, to like, a, not to like Deepak. We need Deepak show. Not like Deepak. So why? not to like dig so deep, but it's like, what do we think is going to happen if we don't respond to the text message? Right. What is coming up in that in that gap in that silence that we think is going to not to be dramatic, but like the ego thinks it's going to die. So what is it that right. that the ego is so threatened by in the silence? Right. I mean, missing out, maybe. Losing a deal. Which means what? Like that you're not enough, that you're not validated, that you're not going to be able to make enough to put food on the table, which we all know is likely not true. Right. I mean, the ego would have it that way. The ego right. would have it that way. And I will tell you, it was such an, the year that I spent, it was about an 18 month health journey that I spent really getting my, my stuff together, was probably the most humbling 18 months of my life. And it was a very quiet period in my life. And I lost friends. I didn't lose any. Wait, we need to talk about this. Yes, we need I to talk lose, about this. I didn't lose a single client because I wasn't eating at their restaurant. I will say this. I mean, Chicago restaurant people, Chicago hotel people, they're some good people, right? They Hospita- are great. I have goosebumps because hospitality yeah. people are the best people. Great humans. They're great humans. Yeah. And once they saw that things were, ch- I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. You didn't. No. No, no, I didn't want to like mess it up. I didn't want to like put the promise out there and then ego. I didn't want to put it out there and then fail, right? so interesting. I often find that transformation has to happen in a field of silence. So that's what I did as I stayed pretty quiet. But eventually you could start to see changes happening. Once I lost, you know, about 25 pounds, people were like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm great. I'm feeling good. Yeah. And you know, people like love to comment on like how you look. And then once I got to like that 35, 40 pound marker, they were like, wow, good for you. You know, genuinely like very supportive. And all of my restaurant clients, once they saw what was happening, they were like, you know, good for you. Good for you. How do you deal with ego in that? Sometimes I'm like checking my ego. Like, do you think that you're better than people? Do you think that your approach is is a better, more aligned approach. This is where spiritual ego is like a huge, huge thing to keep an eye out for. But like, how, is that something that you think about ever? I think it's easy to go down that road. And especially in a world where comparison is mm-hmm. so omnipresent, you can't open Instagram without seeing another PR person or another yoga teacher or, you know, mm-hmm. someone achieving something great. It's very easy to fall into this like, huh, I can't believe that this person has that success, you know, or I can't believe that that person's going about it this way, or I can't believe that person thinks they can do that. Like, it's really easy, I think, to, to fall into, and, and I'm a human being, for sure I fall into that trap. And for sure, I sometimes think that my it's my way or the highway, you know, and it's the best way to go about it, but it's really not. It's really not. It's all, it comes back to the A word, awareness. You have to be aware. And some days I'm more aware than others of the chatter in my mind that is allowing comparison to steal my joy. The ultimate thief. The of it ultimate all. thief. Yeah. So at what point in this journey did you find yoga? So I was almost towards the end of my, I guess, weight loss portion of the journey. Season. <laughs> yeah. And I was ready to move. I was ready to move again. I wanted to get my body going, but I knew that the heavy lifting and the high impact stuff wasn't for me. So I wound up seeking a yoga instructor uh, in Chicago that had come highly recommended to me by a longtime friend and former client who had also found yoga later on in life. And he said, Janet, if you want to learn yoga, you have to call this woman Mar." okay, give me your number. I'll give her a ring. And so I called Mar and she responded right away. We had a nice chat about what I was looking for. I had never done yoga in my life, honestly. So this was just a friend that was like, you would love this. Yeah. And you like, were like open and ready to like receive that suggestion. Exactly. So I was like, well, what the hell? Why not? So I took the class. It was really hard and it was hot. It was hot yoga. I didn't know it was hot yoga. My friend Laura left out that tiny detail, but I loved it. And we chanted. That was my first time having a mantra chant. Mimi was my first chant too. And I started crying. I didn't even know what was being said in the thing, but my body, like it was the vibration or something. And I just released something. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell was that? We sang Shiva Shambo in that class. Shiva, the remover of all obstacles. 
the destroyer sobbing, right? Like sobbing after class, but I'm like, okay, this was, this was cool. I think I'll come back. And, and that's how it started. And I started with Mimi in Miami. And I would say that Mimi became like my first real teacher that I followed avidly. And she is to this day, really the only teacher that I follow avidly. I have many, many teachers and I'm grateful for them, but she's the essence, right? Of why I got into yoga and I followed her all around town. She was teaching everywhere at the time and we became friends after, you know, not right away, you know, but, but we had good vibes right away. And, And I would say that within like six or seven months, we started to really forge a kinship. And when she announced that she was launching MimiYoga.com, you know, it was the, you know, one of the first to sign up for a subscription. And she did all those Zoom classes during the pandemic there for every single one. And then when she announced teacher training, I had considered doing teacher training for some time. And there were a lot of programs in Miami that were running. And I confided in her. I said, I'm thinking about teacher training. And she said, you'd be great. She said, you, um, you should do it. And she said, I'm, I am working on a teacher training, a 200 hour, if you want to wait and do it with me. And I said, of course, done answer. That was the answer. What yoga taught me really was how to get back to myself. You know, what I try to achieve for my students in my classes is what I feel when I do yoga. So I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher. I had no idea. I was just going there to figure out what was happening inside my mind and body when I was able to let go the way that I was in yoga class. And then that first Saturday teaching sun salutation A, I was hooked. I was hooked. Line and sinker. And that was it. That was, I finished the teacher training and I taught my first class the very next day on the beach in sunny Isles. And I love that. Have since continued to teach and teach and teach. And yoga. I've already has, said it. Oh, go ahead. Yoga has been the anchor that keeps me grounded in my own health journey. I could not have said it better myself, and I agree one thousand percent. Slash, whenever I'm in doubt, yoga is the place where I find the answer. Yeah, every time. Every time. If I'm ha- too happy that I don't know what to do with my emotions, if I'm like super lost or stuck. Anything. Yeah. Literally anything, the answer will come. It will. You know, and it's, there's this saying that says, whenever you find yourself on your knees, there's no better time to pray. And yoga gets you there. Totally. So you're now teaching yoga consistently. Yes. You are still owning and operating your agency. Yes. You're also a real estate agent. <laughs> yes. So... I feel very aligned with you on kind of having your hands in separate things. How do you compartmentalize? How do you manage your energy? And where do you feel most alive in all of these things that you're doing? Mm. It's a great question because the last thing I want to do is to go back to what I was doing when I started Isabelli Media Relations in 2011, Mm -hmm. which was like, just say yes, 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 right? I didn't really think yoga or real estate, frankly, would become small businesses. I I didn't. I got my real estate license in the pandemic when life threw us a big curveball and restaurants were closed. And all of my restaurant clients in Chicago and hotel clients were closed for a lot longer than other parts of the country and especially Florida, right? Mm -hmm. They came and I did my yoga teacher training during the pandemic as well. So both of those I guess, certifications or accreditations, whatever you want to call them, were born out of uncertainty. So with real estate, yoga now, and having Isabelli partners come back into the, really start to come back in a big way, it's been very exciting. And it's also forced me to really be open about the fact that I am an entrepreneur and that I have three small businesses. In the Midwest, I think it's a little bit harder for people to wrap their head around someone who's going to have multiple income streams. Like in Miami, we always joke that everyone here has two jobs and four side hustles. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I was treating yoga and real estate like side hustles. And I would just kind of take what came. And and I was teaching a lot of yoga. Don't get me wrong. I was teaching at a lot of studios at one point. And the financial element wasn't what I was doing it for. But it was nice when you saw that money pop into Mm -hmm. your account. And you're like, oh, all right. That's like my my manicure money or whatever. And real estate, I was just doing on a referral basis. Like I wasn't seeking new clients. I wasn't 
I wasn't out to become like a mega agent or, you know, don't need to be on Bravo, you know, that kind of thing. But as things started to shift in the world, I started to see the synergies between all of my businesses, which is kind of crazy. Like I had former restaurant hospitality clients interested in investing in real estate in Miami. And then I saw friends from my yoga business reaching out saying, can you help me find a home? Can you help me find, and, and it doesn't matter if it's a rental or if it's a, it's a condo purchase, home purchase. And all of these worlds started to come together. And I realized that these things can coexist and they can coexist and I can still do a good job in all of them. For a minute, I was really shy about posting too much about yoga or posting too much about real estate or posting too much about PR because I didn't want any of those other segments to get worried that I wasn't paying enough attention to them. But what I find is that what I have found is that all of the segments really appreciate that there is a diverse approach to my life. I think they find it interesting that I'm able to to work on their behalf and still pursue these other interests that are obviously very good for my, especially with yoga, good for my mind, body, and soul. And I was worried. And, and I'm sure there are people out there who are judgy about it. Like, okay, like how great of a, of a publicist can she be when she's focusing on real estate and yoga? And that's fine for them to have that perspective. But the key to all of it, Soph, is just making sure that you do just the right amount of each. So that how do you find what that is? And I, by the way, everything that you're saying resonates with me so much. And that fear of like, what will my clients think because I'm doing this or like, am I able to be as good at what I do if I am diversified in thought and similar to you, all of my things do funnel within each other. They all are the same essence, but they're just different vehicles, which is how I view them Totally, that they play within each other. But there's still that element of like the conditioning really is like you have to like have all of your focus on one thing. You have to put the 10,000 hours in you have to become excellent. But what does excellent mean? Or like, how do you achieve excellence is kind of different for every person. Yeah. It's different for every person and only you can answer that question. Right. You know, excellence can't be defined by anybody else. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who would look at you or me and say, oh, well, there's no way she can be great at having a a real estate business. She's spending five days a week teaching yoga and, and she's got five clients that she's working on in Chicago from Miami. And how is she even doing that? Then there's that whole other like geography scenario. (laughs) Oh, don't even get me started. There's the geography conversation. And it's like, you know what? You can do anything you fucking want. Pardon my language. Sorry, dear listeners. Do not but apologize for that. It's do, true. You can do anything you want and you need to do it without shame. How do you actively let go of shame? Wow. Well, that's a whopper. How do you actively or let Or how go? do you personally, when it comes up, because it does come up and it comes up for me too, but how do you- I go to yoga. Same. I go to yoga and realize that None of this is really all that important at the end of the day. I believe in my businesses and I believe that we can be entrepreneurial and we can be great. I'm obsessed with all of this. I'm very curious your thoughts on, I am seeing this and I don't know if it's like your reticulator, what's it called? Your reticulating activating system. Like the the, the thing that like finds the thing that you're thinking of. Yes. Essentially, I, I don't, I'm butchering what it's called, but essentially like your mind, like finding things that like is at your forefront. I can't tell if it's that or if this is like actually what's happening within the PR and marketing space. But what I'm feeling is this like intense pool from so many of the greats that I know and work with craving more direct content or direct contact with truth telling, truth seeking, like whether it be by going into like yoga or talking about like things like this on a podcast or friends that are launching newsletters that are specifically about the inner work. Like what do you think that's all about? I think it's people wanting human connection again and finding the opportunity to share what's in their mind and in their hearts. You know, I, in the media space in particular, I have been as like amazed, impressed, and inspired by the number of Substack accounts that have been created that so many journalists are putting out there. Journalists and regular, you know, non-journalists too, but but mostly journalists to relate it back to our world. Like these reporters, whether they cover food or lifestyle or fashion or travel, wine, you name it. I mean, their jobs were, were on the line too. And a lot of them didn't recover. A lot of them left journalists, journalism altogether and went and took, you know, higher paying jobs, you know, and no one can blame them for mm-hmm. that. 
no one can blame them for that at all. And I think when so much of the content today leans toward a very specific type of format, like so much affiliate marketing content is driving editorial coverage mm-hmm. today, I think it can be really hard for media people to express themselves with stories and ideas and thoughts and round, even roundup lists, you know, can be better really, in, in integrity. That, I find that journalism is dead. Yeah. It's like, okay. Real journalism, like it, real. You know, I think there, there are places where it's still alive. Where? You know? Cause I want to go there, but where? I mean, I think if you look at some of the longer format pieces that you can still find in like the Atlantic, for example, I think Esquire still does a really good job of some of some longer format pieces, um, Vanity Fair. But when you look at food, like, and I can relate it back to food and restaurants and travel and lifestyle, it's really tough to find, you know, articles that aren't just listicles or, you know, I'm a chef, right? You know, I'm, I'm a pastry chef and here are the five spatulas I can't live without that all tie back to affiliate marketing links. I get it. I get why publications have to, but it's going to be short lived. I feel the pendulum's going to swing and I, sorry to cut you off, but like, I just, I think about this for my agency also. Like I don't like my business hinging on something that I feel like is losing its integrity and that there's, it's like windling down more and more and more. And yes, affiliate is important for a certain period of time. And I also think that it's probably going to be for a very short period of time, because as you said earlier, we're craving real connection, authenticity, everything. So that can only last for so long. Not everyone is even awake to the fact that these listicles are affiliate, but sooner rather than later, they will be as everyone's getting smarter and everyone's getting more in tune, they will. So then what? So the pendulum's going to swing. The pendulum will have to swing. But I think by that time too, so many media people will have established their own followings to their own sub stacks that I don't know that it will swing back in favor of traditional media outlets. I also think that there, I don't think so. I also think that there are a lot of brands, hospitality in particular, that are taking matters into their own hands and they're becoming their own vehicles, their own messengers for the stories that they want to tell. And whether they're doing that through social media, whether they're doing that through their own online magazines, whether they're doing that. I mean, I was just talking to someone the other day who wants to publish a tour twice annual magazine of her own that is rooted not just in her own brand. Of course, it has to be rooted in her own brand to make it be worth the marketing expense, but also in a way that pulls in people who are interesting, who patronize her brand, guest bylines. I mean, honestly, we're talking entirely about creating our own magazine that would publish twice a year that really expresses the stories that we want to tell because I don't know if the media outlets are going to be out there to tell. And not only that, it's that like your diehard people want that from you. Like, yeah, they'll probably see you included in like a historic publication and be like, oh, that's really cool. But like if they have a destination to go to all the time, by the way, I'm thinking about this the exact same way for piano piano for all of my clients. And I've actually created a list of like what is in our control that we can own. And that can be a regular cadence that you have more control of. And what are the things that you don't own? Yeah. Because that list is getting shorter and shorter mm-hmm. and getting less important yeah. also. Yeah. The more that you can actually create from an authentic place that you can control, that feels like it's in connection with what you were like as a kid or what the founder of that company was like as a kid, that's in the essence of what you really want to put out in the world, the right people will come and you control it more. And you don't have to rely on external validation and external things that are currently right now being operated by people that need to make money off of affiliate. It really is the direction we're headed, I think. But I will tell you a funny story. The other day I was talking to, so when I first started PR, this was in like the early 2000s, like there was no email pitching. You picked up the phone and you pitched. So when you ask about what's going to happen with media, you know, I think it's I think more of that is going to happen as the pendulum starts to swing eventually away from affiliate. Will it go away entirely? Probably not. But I do think people are craving so much more of the connection, almost to the point that we've forgotten what it feels like. Like when I lost all that weight and I stopped drinking, I didn't realize how bad I felt until I eliminated it. I woke up one day and I was like, wow, so this is what it's like to wake up feeling good, right? Maybe like three weeks in. Like my body had finally gotten rid of all of it. Similarly, the pandemic, I think, like removed us so much from day-to-day contact and personal interaction, dinners, lunches, those sorts of things, even phone calls. It was Zoom. It wasn't a phone call. It was a Zoom. Fine. I'll take a Zoom. No big deal. But it was almost as though we didn't know how much, we don't know how much we've missed it 
because we haven't taken the time to have the conversations with people again. I think that's part why I do this podcast, honestly. Yeah. I'm I'm being dead serious because I feel like it's the only format in 2023 that you can have you and I sat together for two hours (laughs) looking at each other in our eyeballs, even though I see you two, three times a week. It's not the same. But I think on some level, this is probably why I do it. It's because like I get a level of connection on here that I just don't get in any other avenue in my life. Yeah. I don't. It's a beautiful thing. Keep doing it. Oh, I will. And you're going to come back again. (laughs) I want to ask you a few more questions before we close out. Okay, perfect. What is something that you have unlearned or are working to unlearn that you've found a more resourceful way to go about it? Mm. It could be an example like comparison or that you've unlearned that you're, for example, that you're, you're capable of having three different vehicles or whatever, but like something that you've had to unlearn that you feel like you can share. Something that I have had to unlearn is that it is okay to pursue everything that you want to pursue without apology, without apology. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And I think for me, I always tie it back to my, to my work life because that is sort of the most prevalent thing in my brain right now. And it's pretty recent, like in the past 60 days where I've come to this conclusion where it's like, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. I'm going to be Janet, the PR person. I'm going to be Janet, the real estate agent. And I'm going to be Janet, the yoga teacher, because I can, and I want to be, and I don't have to explain myself to anyone or anything as long as I'm delivering on my end of the deal. And that was my own obstacle. Frankly, I don't know if people even really cared that I was doing (laughs) PR, real estate, and yoga. They probably don't, as long as they're getting what they're paying me to get, right? Which is a service to some degree that I'm providing in all three of these avenues. I had to just get over that own hurdle in my own own Midwestern hurdle. I was telling myself that it's okay to be an entrepreneur. You can have mul- you can have multiple streams of income with multiple businesses and still be good at all of them. And honestly, Sophie, I don't know what prompted me to just unlearn it and stop thinking that way, but it was really just to decide. That's usually what it is. You just have to decide. Everything's a choice. <laughs> what is something that you know with full certainty, and it could be that, that you want every single person on this podcast to know? that you wish everyone knew. That's something that you just know with every ounce of your soul. You can do it. That's what I want everybody to know. You can do it. The hardest thing you ever imagined in your life, you can do. I never thought I could lose 75, 80 pounds. Are you kidding me? That's wild. Are I did not kidding? know that. Dude, like the fortitude lives within you. You've got it. You know, it was not easy. It was not easy and it was not a linear path. It wasn't like I woke up one day and said, okay, I'm going to get healthy and I'm going to stop drinking and I'm going to drink a gallon of water a day and I'm going to eat this way. No, you take things one step at a time until you learn one habit and then you add the other, a healthy habit on top of it, whatever it is. I'm talking about you know my, mm-hmm. my health journey in particular in this case, in this example. And it's okay to be quiet about your dreams sometimes. I love that answer. Mm-hmm. Why do we feel that we have to share absolutely everything? Ego. A part of me feels like if I don't, it's not real. Yeah. But it's my relationship to it sometimes. And and it's funny when you mentioned earlier that like when you were doing it, you decided consciously, like even your husband didn't really know exactly what the decisions were, but he was just watching the outcomes. And sometimes for me, I rely on accountability. And like when I say it, especially to the close people in my life, I feel like it allows for, for example, not drinking alcohol. Sometimes I try to equip myself or like make it easier for me if I tell certain people in my life so that I don't have to like stress about it or come up against that hurdle all the time. Mm -hmm. So for me, at least there's some areas where like sharing it is helpful and useful, but there are other times where I feel like I'm sharing and I don't know really the purpose for why I'm sharing it. Yeah. And I think it's great to share with the people who are closest to you, but don't share too much. You know, there's a lot to be learned in the silence between where you are and where you're going. 
you know, it's like when you go to a, to a foreign country and you know a little bit of the language that they're speaking there, but it's not your native tongue. And for a minute, you live in this silence between your native tongue and the language you should be speaking, but you're still too freaked out to speak that language because you don't want to mess up and you're a foreigner and you don't want to get laughed at or you don't want people to roll their eyes at you. For like the first two, three days, you kind of live in this little silence. It's the best time to observe the best time to observe. It's the same thing in life when you're trying to achieve something that really means something to you. And it could be something as small as I'm not going to drink for a one week, just clean out my body for a week. Or it could be, I want to lose a hundred pounds, or I want to achieve this milestone in my career. Sure. Share it with the people that you trust with all your might, but spend some time in the privacy of the journey because that's where you're going to really learn the most about yourself. I love that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel like I could talk to you I for you. 5 million years. I feel like I could talk to you for where 5 million more. <laughs> can people find you? I'm going to say it for the 12th time, but if you are in Miami, do yourself a service and go to Janet's yoga class. You can find me there probably. <laughs> Come hang out with us at Mimi Yoga. Yeah. Love and it. so share where people can connect with you on if there is one of these vehicles that they feel called to work with you on, how can they? Sure. So I think my Instagram is probably the best because I've got all three of my streams there, but it's at Janet Isabelli. Amazing. And um, you can also go to IsabelliLifestyle.com, which has portals for all three of my entrepreneurial ventures that's it but i'm so thankful to you I'm thanks so for having grateful. me oh my god on. are you kidding what me? a fun combo i'm so also happy that like there's different dates that we were gonna do it and it, this conversation felt so right that i feel like it wouldn't have happened had it not been yeah we're exactly where we're supposed to be One thousand percent thank you i, I love, love you so love much you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for getting to the end of the episode and more importantly thank yourself for choosing to learn more about how to come home to yourself As always, take what resonates with you and simply let go of what doesn't. I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen, because that's the way that the show will continue to grow. And we are all about growth here. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you next week.